I'm Dean Jackson. He's Joe Polish. And this is the I Love Marketing Podcast. It's a Dean Jackson. Is this Joe Polish? Yeah, this is Joe Polish, and I was not going to say anything, Dean. I was going to wait for you to actually say, and this is Joe Polish. And this <laughs> is Joe Polish. <laughs> Just to sound dramatic, because all of our listeners, this is going to be some pretty serious business you're about to listen to. So It really yep. is. <laughs> I'll tell you, I'm, uh, I'm excited about doing this. I think this is going to be a really great thing. And, uh, you know, I remember when we first started talking about doing this, that this would be, this would be the kind of podcast that I'd want to listen to. That's what I'm thinking of is the, you know, like to, uh, you know, we always talk and we always talk about marketing and we always come up with uh, great stuff and share great things, but nobody ever gets to, to hear it. And I thought this would be right. a great way for us to, uh, to do that. And, I was just telling you that what I really want to do is over the next several months, it's like I, I'm challenging both of us, I think, to spend – to really over the next several months here try and get everything that we know about marketing out on audio. And that's kind of – you know, the interesting thing is it kind of is going to keep us growing, I think, because it's, I don't think we're ever going to run out of, of things to talk about and cool things to – to share because there's always new marketing developments, you know? Yep, exactly. And uh, we know a lot of stuff. So this, uh, this will actually be really valuable, I think, for us to, to flesh out some of the things that me and you only talk about privately. And for everyone listening uh, collectively, uh, you know, me and Dean both absolutely love marketing. We've, we've read countless books, uh, attended many, many seminars, uh, spent thousands of hours uh, in private discussions with some of the greatest, you know, marketing minds uh, in the world, not only seeking them out, but, you know, being sought out by people to, you know, talk about marketing, teach marketing, implement marketing, share marketing, how to make money, how to get better clients, how to streamline entrepreneurial systems. So, that you know, there's just a lot of a lot of stuff that we've uh, we've learned over the years, and, and, and either one of us uh, are ever going to come, you know, from a place of being so ego-centered that we think we know it all, and this is the best way. So we're, we're, we're both students of the game, and we're all you know, we're all players and participants too. And so that's that's what I request out of anyone that listens to us is that uh, be coachable, be open-minded. Uh, marketing is very interesting. Uh, a lot of times marketing doesn't need to make sense. It just needs to make money and uh, it just needs to work and be effective. So, you know, you're going to hear some, some things that will cause you to question, you know, what you may have heard from other people, other sources. And, you know, most of what we're going to share, though, uh, although a lot of it will be, you know, creative, uh, you know, brainstorming at times, uh, both myself and Dean have have made uh, for ourselves uh, millions of dollars, have, have generated for our clients uh, collectively hundreds of millions, and uh, you know, so we 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 have experience, real world, um, and we're gonna you know we'll talk about things that that work in the real world today, online and offline. Both of us learned marketing, uh, you know, literally I think right out of the womb, right, right, Dean. Right out of the womb. Well, that's you know, <laughs> I think that that actually is a great place to start because I know that there's so much more to it than just knowing the book, learning about marketing. And I know that both of us, that the um, experiences that we've had and the application of all of the things that we've learned have really kind of shaped who we are as marketers and I'm always fascinated because I, you and I haven't talked about this before, but what I'm really fascinated by is how people get the earliest love of marketing. And I remember for me, I remember exactly the, the things that have impacted that. And I'd love to hear those for you too. 
You want me to start or you want, you want to start? Yeah, you start because I want to see if I can okay. one-up you after I hear your you know, <laughs> rags to riches story. <laughs> I figure that. So, you know, yeah. I was thinking about this, that my, for me, the earliest thing that I can remember about being impacted by marketing is starting with a distaste for real work. And I say that because I remember back in <laughs> I remember You know, I'm sitting there going, Well, is that just because you're just a lazy bastard or because you really are smart and you really see that, you know, people are trying to accomplish things in very difficult ways. No, I, I think at, it's a combination you know, of both. I think so too. I look back <laughs> and I realize I remember this distinctly because I remember getting my my very first Job, my first and really only job that I ever had is in terms of like a uh, hourly wage job, and it was going into into ninth grade, and my friend Neil and I both got jobs at the same time at the bowling alley as pin chasers, and I remember that we were getting two dollars and fifty cents an hour. That was the minimum wage then, and right. I remember I remember that we would go. To the bowling alley and on a Saturday it would be all day long you'd be working you know eight hours and we would come out of there uh, you know and for that day what would you get for eight hours at two dollars and fifty cents you'd get less than about twenty dollars right for that but they'd take off taxes for that so you'd end up with very little money and I, I started realizing that the hourly thing is really a there wasn't any leverage in it because you're working for all of those hours and around right. that same time um you know i had a uh, uh paper route and one of the things that we would always get to do was um do new subscription solicitations and i know you've done that too but one of the things that, that our newspaper had as a special promotion were these coupon booklets that were just local coupons that were, um, you know, for money off on local restaurants and at the bowling alley and, and all these all these local uh, local discounts. And the books sold for three dollars, and if you it was total commission. And if you sold any of these booklets, you got a dollar fifty, and the and the newspaper got a dollar fifty. And I remember going around to these, and I figured out very early on that the coupon on page three was for a free Whopper that was no, it wasn't anything required, no purchase required, nothing like that. It was just a free Whopper. And I thought, I realized that that's almost the cost of the, uh, of the whole booklet. So I might right. pitch the people. I'd go to the door and I would talk about the coupons and I would say, um, you know, the, first, the coupon here on page three is worth, uh, if you just use that one, you get your money back right away, you know. And people would would buy up these these booklets. It was a pretty easy sale because there was all kinds of really good savings in there for three dollars. It was essentially like buying, you know, fifty dollars worth of savings for three dollars on things that pe- most people would use. And so I remember going around and selling these, and I had a pitch where they would, uh, you know, sell them. For uh, you could get two booklets for five dollars, you know, and people would actually buy these things. And by going and knocking on doors, I think I calculated it out that you could make something like fifteen dollars in an hour selling these booklets door to door. And I thought, man, that is just so much better than doing something for an hourly wage, you know, so I could work way less time, make more money, and go bug my other friends that worked at the bowling alley by spending all the money in the arcade, you know? <laughs> well, you know, you know, you know what's funny about that? Well, I think yeah, I'll, let you can, I'll let you finish this story, but I've got something that's so darn similar to making more money at, with a paper route selling subscriptions. Yeah. 
And would, so that, would you like me to share it right now at this particular moment? Yeah. I used to deliver newspapers also, and I actually had a paper route, but the real icing on the cake that actually made me more money was selling the subscriptions, uh, which was optional. I didn't have to do it, but we, you know, we, we would. And there would be a guy that kind of like managed a few of the troops, and some of these kids delivered papers, and some of them just sold subscriptions door to door. And I won a trip to Disneyland when I, I don't know, I was probably like 13 or 14, I don't know, 13, 14, 15 years old, I can't remember. Mm -hmm. And I went a trip to Disneyland because out of 2,500 different kids uh, in the Phoenix area selling subscriptions to the Arizona Republic, uh, I sold uh, the most subscriptions. And I won this trip to Disneyland for doing it door to door. But I actually made more money, um, you know, literally doing the the sales uh, than I actually Mm -hmm. did delivering the papers. But delivering the papers gave me a real, real affinity with with the newspaper and uh you know unlike you that actually that was like your bonus was hey you get this coupon and it's worth you know almost you you obviously made it easy to make a buying decision the way you approached it i actually used kind of like a feel sorry for me plea and i would open up like i'm trying to win a trip to disneyland and if you help me out here you know and i mean <laughs> so you know there's all kinds of ways to appeal to people's um decision-making process, whereas you used, you know, a real smart, you know, bonus-driven sort of offer. I just wanted them to feel sorry for me and buy based on sympathy and the fact that this, you know, kid, uh, which actually, what am I... No, you know, yeah, I mean, I just still try to make people feel sorry for me, and they just throw money at me. It's crazy. But, uh, no, you know, one of of my first exposures to, to, to knowing you know, how to engage people's emotions, uh, and there are many different ways to do it, um, was when I was uh, a little kid, um, you know, four or five years old. uh, My mother died when I was four, and my father was a locksmith, and we lived in a small town called Kerrville, Texas. And um, my father used to sit me up on this counter because he was a locksmith and in the front of the house he had like a little locksmith shop and in the back is where we where we lived and people would come in and I'd be sitting on the counter with all these keys and they'd come in to get keys made and you know talk to my father and it it was kind of back in the day like you know probably the old school barber shops where people would just come by and they would hang out and talk and my dad would you know make keys and work on you know, resetting tumblers and fixing locks and that sort of stuff. And I would smile. And when I would smile, people would give me tips. And I learned the power of, of, a, of a smile. And so in a lot of ways, I was using, you know, a smile as my marketing way to get people to actually reward me. I guess, I don't know, maybe like at the zoo when people throw, like, bananas to the happy monkeys and not at the ones that yeah. look mean or something. I, I don't know. But that was uh, – that, you know, I, I never even really thought of it that much until, you know, we started to decided we're going to do this, uh, you know, I love marketing podcasts, and mm-hmm. there you go. I think that was my, my first attempt at marketing was not a headline in sales copy or a video on a website. It was a smile on my face to get people to, to give me tips, and uh, mm-hmm. you know, I didn't do anything except try to look like a happy kid. Oh, that's but, great. Uh, I, you know what? Yeah. Now that you say that, I could picture you as a little kid with that big, goofy smile. <laughs> Just a little yeah. So now, now, smile now. Well, well, you know, there's all kinds of different things too. Now it's it's name dropping and famous people and you know, right, right. Just being, being Joe Polish, you know, you think would be enough. Uh, but let, let me let me. You are known, Dean, as the guy uh, that uh, I don't think you ever came out and said this. I'd like to actually hear your, hear your background in this. You're, you're known as like the first person to ever use an opt-in page uh, using online marketing, which you've, you've been doing online marketing for many, many years in the, in the very heyday of, uh, you know, the internet. Um, and you, you created an opt-in page and, you know, I, I'd like to, we're, we're, you know, that's, that's a big deal, you know, for people that are out there listening, if you've ever had an opt-in page where someone, you know, an opt-in page could also be called like a shy yes page or landing page with a, you know, asking for an email. What are all the different terms that you've heard opt-in pages called? Mm-hmm. Yeah, squeeze page. Yeah, that sort yeah. of stuff. So, I mean, yeah, is that true or you just did someone just make that up to make you sound smart or something? Well. 
I don't know that anybody keeps official records, but I know for sure I was the first person that I know of that was doing it. And I'll tell you where um, and how that came about. I realized that the idea of getting somebody's email address was probably the most valuable thing that you could get out of a visitor coming to your website. And the first thing, the first one that I ever did was for a, a real estate website. And the, the innovation that I had was making leaving your name and email address the only option. Now, there were people who were using um, forms and, you know, where you could put uh, leave your name and email address because there were autoresponders around. But this idea of using a one-decision web page is what I was calling it at the time. And so when I made the the livinginwinterhaven.com website, that was the very first um, real estate website that I did. And the idea was that I set it up to be and to mirror the um, table of contents page of Cosmo Magazine where you have all these cool headlines, all these cool bullet points. And instead of saying, click here, like all of the, you know, like a regular website would say, um, you know, get a free guide to Winter Haven real estate prices, click here, or search all the homes for sale in Winter Haven, click here. I would make the page just like the, the table of contents. So you could see all the stuff that was in there. But the only um, change that we made was saying free inside, more inside, free inside. And all the way down, you see all of these things, and then um, at both the top and the bottom of the page, there was an opt-in that said get free instant access and just leave your name and your email address. So people got to see all the things that they were going to get um, in exchange for their name and their email address, and that was the only decision they could make. There was nothing to distract them. Because if I look at the, you know, if you come to the website, you come to a website and you look at the um, options there, if there's any other option aside from leaving your name and your email address, you're going to click on, on all those other options. So my you know idea was if you eliminate that option then the more people are going to take the only option that's available to them so it was more of a focusing tool you know it was something that would eliminate the distractions of people clicking around and getting lost and and clicking on other websites um you just focus them and the only decision they could make is would i like this uh, do I want to get all this information? And they would leave their name and their email address. And then when they went inside, that index page then was now all of those links were clickable. Now they all said click here, click here, click here, click here. So it was kind of like a um, um, the checkout aisle, you know, where you see Cosmo Magazine at the grocery store and you see all those cool headlines on the cover and you, you, know, you can only kind of glance at the article while you're in line there, but mostly people make their decision that they're going to buy this magazine based on the cover. That's why they spend so much time and money on making those covers as compelling as possible. So that's how that Yeah, you know, I think it's – uh, can I say something too about what you just said about people standing in line at the checkout counter? I mean, I, I guess in grocery stores, it's probably better to have like a line where people are forced to look at all of this other stuff versus, you know, vertical versus horizontal, because then if they just walked up and they weren't surrounded by all this other stuff, their point of purchase sales would not be the same. Mm-hmm. I bet you're right. I mean, th- that had nothing to do with anything, but I just thought it was funny. <laughs> You know, because I'm sitting there thinking, you know, there could be all kinds of different ways that you could line people up in order to set the stage for them to actually uh, buy something. But here's the important distinction, though. See, even if people click around and look at all of those things, the fact that you got their email makes all the difference in the world because you can continue to communicate with them afterwards, and you end up having uh, some control 
uh, you have permission because they gave it to you. They granted you the ability to have their email. And, uh, you know, I mean, have, have things changed all that much today uh, since, uh, you know, what year was that when you first did that? Boy, that was like 1997, I think. 97, like okay. When it was, yeah, yeah. yeah. yeah have things, ha, has your philosophy changed much about how you set up a website? Um, not really. You know, the, we still, the long-form version of that living in Winter Haven is still exactly the same. The um, mm-hmm. cosmetics have changed very little. Um, you know, the idea now that even shorter is better, um, that we use a little, an even shorter version of that where it all fits on one, uh, on one screen where it's all viewable. That one is, uh, that one gets a um, slightly better um, conversion rate. And, you know, the good news is that when you have a, um, when you figure out what motivates somebody in, in something like real estate, it's, largely going to stay the same you know it's not really uh it doesn't change all that much um and when you figure out the crack the code for a good a good uh opt-in page there's uh you know it's got a lot of legs i mean you know we when we um set up eben's opt-in page for for double your dating i remember when we were when he was first getting started with that, we set up the the very first uh, page for for W dating, and the um, the copy that we set up then is is uh, almost identical to the copy that they still use today for the uh, for the opt-in page. And I remember doing the little testing on that. I mean, it was you know sitting up in Eben's. Uh, office slash bedroom at the time doing making little changes we'd let 200 people come to the site and we'd get the you know how many people left their name and email and then we'd make a little uh change and and got to where uh the opt-in was was working really well and just continued to stick with that but when you get that name and email address it just opens up so many opportunities then to um to just have a dialogue with people you know yeah you know i i don't know when i first heard it but it was probably around uh that time where um starting to refer to different ways to market on the internet and i still like this is uh, push pull and dangle and you, you'd heard that before right i have but i don't know the um the source uh, yeah, yeah, I don't know the source, and I do, you know, because I don't know the depth of it. So maybe you can explain it. Well, you know, it's like the three things that you can do to market, you know, on the internet. You can, you know, you can uh, pull people to your website, and you could hope that there's something compelling and interesting on the website, so they're going to actually buy from you. You know, they just go to your website, and if you got something for sale, they they buy it. If you're trying to use a website to raise you know, donations for a charity or foundation or cause, you know, they just, you know, make a contribution, uh, you know, whatever. Um, the, the action you're trying to get them, you pull them to the website. And you do that through, you know, anything from search engine optimization to running, you know, Facebook ads or banner ads or whatever to outside marketing, you know, going on TV, radio, you know, in print, whatever. Uh, and you you pull people uh, to the to the site. Uh, dangle is in your particular case you offer them like a free report or you offer them you know uh, free inside get free instant access you know that sort of thing mm-hmm. and you um, dangle something for free or something enticing that they want to get to and by doing that you get them to give you their information their email their phone number their address their whatever typically it's usually just either email or first name and email and then you push and what pushes is after you've got the the even if they click out of your site uh, you can continually communicate to these people and you control what's pushed out to them be it you know, RSS feeds or, you know, email or, you know, now with Facebook, you know, you have different, you know, you can post on, mm-hmm. 
you know, all the all the different vehicles that you can push out. So I think if people just look at their web marketing as push, pull, and dangle, and if, and if you're a lot of people just pull. I mean, you know, they're just trying to pull people to the site, but they're not doing great capture and they're not pushing out. And, 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 and if they do dangle anything, a lot of times it's really boring. It, it it doesn't hold much value or you're trying to offer so many different things and no one, no one knows how to make a decision. So I, one thing I really have always liked about your, your, your thinking uh, as it relates to marketing is your clarity. I mean, you're really good at simplicity. Like you made this statement a one decision web page. You know, what's kind of cool about Google, if you could just think of all the different things that, hey, you know, now Bing and, you know, many different search engines, but the, the, the thing is, is if you just think of simplicity, there's so much stuff that could be stuffed on a web page, and, and so many oh, yeah. people try to try to get their page to do so many things. And if you just think from the the mindset of the user, how do you make it simple for people to visit and then know what the hell to do or where to go and set it up so that you have the best advantage of working with them, selling to them, communicating with them after they decide to leave. Well, you know, it's, I like this. I like this. Um, so the, the order is pull, dangle, push. That That's, I guess, how it works, right, with you. And that's similar to the formula that I was working from when I was setting that up, that I had this formula that was eyeballs plus emails plus hearts equal faces. And so, because ultimately when I was developing this for the realtors, and this is totally applicable to any business really, um, that the each step in that formula represents one kind of benchmark, one action that you can get somebody to take. So when you were talking about pull, that would be the that would be getting eyeballs to your website. So the only thing that you're the only question you're trying to answer when you're you know trying to win eyeballs is what can I do to get somebody to go to my website? And once they're there, once they're like on their screen, they're looking at your website, it, then the next step in that formula, you've, you've accomplished that goal. You've accomplished the first benchmark, which is getting them to the site. Then the next step in that formula is to attract their email address. So that's where I decided that, that having it be the only option was the thing that got the very most email addresses. You know, the higher a priority that you put on it, the um, the more compelling or the more compelling it is, and the more people will uh, will leave their email address. But then once you've got their email address, you've reached that second benchmark, and the third one. So it's eyeballs plus emails plus hearts is now we're, we want them to share the desires of their heart, to tell you who they are, what they're looking for, the types of homes they're interested in, their, um, their mailing address. They're kind of identifying themselves to you, raising their hand and engaging in a dialogue. And then that equal sign represents the transition kind of out of that cyber world and into the real world into a real relationship with an appointment. So that formula could work for that could work for carpet cleaners, where you know you, what are you going to do to get somebody to go to your carpet cleaning website, and when they're there, what can you do to get them to leave their name and their email address, and when you've got their name and their email address, how can you communicate with them so that they'll engage in a dialogue with you, and ultimately. What can you do in that communication to get them to invite you over to their house? Or if you own a restaurant, what can you do to get them to come into your restaurant? Or if you own, a, you know, a, if you're a chiropractor, what can you do to get them to come into your office? All of those things where you're now getting somebody off of the off of the web and into your office or into your restaurant, into a relationship with you. 
Yeah, exactly. And, uh, you know, it's, it's, it's another form of, uh, you know, sifting, sorting, and screening, which I originally did before, and, and you did too. Uh, one thing I should probably mention for people that don't know our backgrounds is both me and you learned uh, direct response marketing uh, offline. I mean, the Internet, mm-hmm. um, you know, at least when I got introduced to marketing, the, the Internet didn't exist as a, uh, as a commerce vehicle. And, right. uh, you know, we, we were writing sales letters and, you know, using snail mail. And, you know, we still do, you know, paper and yeah, postage yeah. and space ads. And not so far back in the days when people were using exacto knives in order to, you know, typeset and lay out newspaper ads. I mean, I, it was – I came after that. Dude, I was. Any, were you? <laughs> oh, man, I'll tell you what. The very first things that I did, like I'm talking like 1989 – were uh yeah there was no like desktop publishing that was for rich people you know that wasn't even like really a uh that really wasn't even a thing yet in 1989 it's amazing well i should say that i do remember actually making ads and and writing up letters uh in using whiteout um because Mm -hmm. you know the the spell check thing just didn't i didn't have it and uh so (laughs) But you know the po- the point is it's still you know sift sort and screen you know marketing is a positioning game, and and it really is about positioning and if you want to get the right types of clients you know you need to it's like fishing, you know you're gonna you're gonna fish with a certain type of bait and you're gonna attract certain types of fish and if you have if you're fishing in a stocked lake and no one's biting, you got to really look at uh, what's the bait, you know. Uh, and we, we live in a world where there's, you know, we, like t- say, say the United States. If you're, if you're in the United States or Canada and you're listening to us, you know, there are literally thousands, thousands of people surrounding most people literally within, you know, uh, you walk outside your house, your office, your whatever. I mean, your your prospects are all over the place. I mean, people that will give you money, and you're, you're right you know, smack in the middle of a very stock lake of potential bars, and if no one's biting, then you know either you're not fishing, you're not putting out the right bait, and you know you really got to take a look at what you're doing, and and, and it's gotta you know, it's gotta make sense. And so, um, I, I guess Dean, to kind of take it to the very basic level, um, we are talking about marketing. We are talking about marketing methodologies. We love marketing because you know it's. It's just such a really cool thing, and I'd like to ask you, you know, why? What does marketing mean to you? What is it? What is your definition? Uh, you know, what was exciting to you about selling and marketing and all that? I mean, how'd you how'd you fall into it? I mean, I'll, I'll share my story of what it means to me and everything, but I'd lo- love to get your perspective on it. Yeah, sure. You know, I look back now. It's amazing now to look back and to see the progression because it's it's amazing how you have so much clarity on now on things that you did then and uh you know you kind of didn't realize it at the time but now you know well that of course that worked that makes so much sense why that why that is so and so when i remember when i started in business my first thing that i did was as a real estate agent and i remember you know, getting my real estate license in November of 1988. And I remember at the time, it was straight out of school, I was 21 years old, and I was just kind of thinking to myself, because I knew that impression of selling those coupon booklets door to door, really, now that I know what that means, I know now, because I know Dan Sullivan, and you're a good friend, Dan Sullivan, that that was a shift out of, you know, into the results economy and realizing that that was a bigger opportunity than being in a job um, situation where you're, you know, you're getting an hourly wage or a, or a salaried position. So Yeah, yeah, can I, can I say something real, can I? Let me interrupt. Let me interrupt you right in the middle of this because I, I want. Uh, yeah, Dan Sullivan, who you mentioned, he's the founder of uh, Strategic Coach, which is a uh, you know very high level coaching program. 
uh, for entrepreneurs. Uh, he says you can be either in the uh, you know time and effort economy where you get paid hourly, or you can be paid you you can be in the results economy where it's not based on time, but it's based on on results, and you can. You know, you can make enormous amounts of money, uh, like people like you know Richard Branson and you know Bill Gates and Warren Buffett. You know, they're not getting paid by the hour; they're getting paid by results. Uh, or you can you know get paid hourly. And so you're talking about when you you know may you, you didn't have those words for it at the time, but you saw that right. well, you know, working by the clock isn't probably the smartest way to actually get paid. Right. That was exactly it, and I, I was. I'm so fortunate to have kind of learned that lesson early, early on. And so that guided my um, decision-making process when I was getting into business. I realized that getting into something like real estate is a opportunity to purely be in the results economy. And I knew that you could make good money for being um, – being good at what you do. And I remember, you know, I mean, you know, it's amazing how, and we'll talk about this a little bit later too, but, you know, when you talk about good money, when you save those things, like, you know, back in that time, it's like making a six-figure income was really good money. You know, like that's, that's your that's your thinking level. What was my thinking level? I'd be interested to hear what yours was, but I remember thinking, like, you know, if I could just make, like, six figures, that would be, like, I'd be on easy street, you know? And so <laughs> yeah. I remember thinking. I remember now, thinking, now you're probably annoyed if you don't make six figures in a month, but that's no big deal. Yeah, exactly. And so the I remember, you know, I was young, 21, and I remember having the foresight to think that I think what would be best for me is if I focused my attention on working with, people who are buying their first home and working with townhouses, people who own townhouses. Cause I knew that they would be younger people and my age wouldn't be uh, as much of a factor as it was if I were selling luxury homes. And I learned quickly that my age really didn't make any difference, but the fact that I had a, um, a focus, a target market right from the beginning, I was focused on those townhouses and, um, you know, at the time, there were about 350 or 400 townhouses in Georgetown where I was. And so my, uh, you know, I started researching them and put together these graphs with all the prices. And in, in 1980, prices were just going straight up. It was great. And I remember the day that I got my license, the very first day, November 15th, because there's a period of time from when you take your um, exam for your real estate license and then the actual time when you get your physical license and you can actually trade there's like a you know could be a three or four week um, window there so our manager would let me come into the office and you know set up my desk and just be part of the office and everything and access all the the um, computer and get all the uh, um, all the sales data and all that stuff. So I was kind of researching the townhouses and I had these flyers all made up that I was going to hand deliver these flyers whenever I got my license. And so the day my license came, November 15th, I hopped in my car, I had my flyers all done up and I started out delivering these flyers to all the doors, to every door in, of the townhouses. And in the second uh, townhouse complex that I was delivering these. I met a lady who was coming in from the grocery store and I was handing out my flyers and I had a graph that showed the townhouse prices. And, um, I, you know, I was talking with her and she said, yeah, we're, we're actually, we're looking for a, a house. And I remember that I had seen one on inspections that morning that sounded like what she was looking for. And I told her that. And she, I said, what time does your husband get home? And she said, you know, 5.30. So I made an appointment with them to go and show her this house at 6 o'clock because she knew the street that was the area that they wanted to be in. And so we got uh, over to that house. They loved it. They put in an offer that night on this house. The very first day I got my real estate license. So I put, get this house sold. 
get their townhouse listed, which sold the very next day because, again, the market was really kind of hot right then. So here it is, like less than 24 hours after having my real estate license, I had my first listing, my first sale, and my first listing that had sold. And all from just kind of, you know, I think about it as like focusing on that target market, you know, having a specific plan for going into something. And so it was kind of a, um, you know, at that time, I totally leveraged that because I had just delivered those flyers. And then I went out and delivered the, uh, you know, the flyers that I had uh, just listed their house. And then the next day, delivered the just sold flyers. So all of a sudden, like within, you know, a four day period, these people, all of these townhouses had at least three flyers from me. (laughs) And I ended up getting, you know, even more listings in there. And it became that it was like within, within three months, I had literally taken over the, the townhouse market, you know, in Georgetown. And it was just from focusing on that as a as a single target market, and I, you know, I look back now and I realize, well, of course, that's like completely, it totally makes sense to focus all your attention on a single target market, you know. But I didn't have those kind of words or that kind of of experience for it at the time. Well, yeah, and I mean, I think um, the ability to focus is way beyond going and sitting somewhere and planning. The ability to focus could be is critical when you're out there uh, exerting lots of energy. I mean, it's the difference of you know shooting with a rifle versus a shotgun. I mean, how mm-hmm. much you know impact are you going to make? Um, mm-hmm. Now, like, I want to talk about the subject of of focus and at the time we're doing this podcast we don't have it up on uh, ilovemarketing.com but i think we definitely should put it up there as you have a 50 minute uh focus uh video that you did a presentation mm-hmm. that is awesome and one thing that many people in the in the marketing world know you you know know of you and refer you to is is a guy that's a really clear thinker and someone that really knows how to focus in and when you teach marketing to people uh, which you're really well known in the real estate industry. Uh, how, how many realtors do you think have adopted some of the marketing strategies that you have uh, developed and created? Hmm. I mean, if you even had to put a number to it. Yeah, thousands. I don't know exactly. I mean, if you look at, I mean, good grief. We had, you know, we did uh, big 500, 800 person events every month for 14 years. So that's, uh, you know, 5,000, 6,000, 7,000 people a year for for 14 years. That's a lot. Yeah, that's a couple people. Like two yeah, people. people. <laughs> <laughs> no, but you you know what 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 it is, what what I'm saying though is you got all these people including people that are listening here that that hear a lot of stuff and there's a lot of different options out there and you know one of the things about the whole creative world of of marketing and selling is there's a lot of different ways that you can skin a cat and uh, and and I'm that's like an analogy. I don't want anyone listening to this and physically go out and skin a cat. That would be very cruel, bad thing to do. Um, there, there's many ways to accomplish, uh, you know, many goals and try to go out and do a lot of stuff. But people that cannot stay, you know, that they can't identify and select a target market, they can't nicheify what it is they're doing. They have a really hard time when they think that everyone in the world like should buy their stuff and is a prospect. And you know, focusing applies more to, you know, just setting priorities and where you're going to spend your time. It has everything to do with, you know, your success as a quote-unquote marketer. So what could you say about the whole subject of of focus? Focus in general for a person and focus as it relates to to marketing. Well, you know, that example is a great example of of focusing on on a target market. And, you know, later on, um, one of the books that's made the best impact on me about focus like that is a book called the P and G 99 and that P and G is for Procter and Gamble. So there's a book called the P and G 99 and it's all the principles that they use to, 
um, kind of guide their their operations and their marketing. It was written by a guy who's a former um, P&G uh, marketing uh, guy. And this, one of the things that really stood out to me was that they the number one thing that really jumped out at me is that the the idea of planning to dominate and so when i say when you hear those words you know that that's their number one guiding thing is if they're going to pick a market they're not just picking a market to kind of go in and dabble in it they're going into that market with an idea that they're going to dominate that market. So they're not going in with the idea of let's just test some uh, laundry detergent. You know, they're going in with this idea that they're going to completely dominate the laundry detergent category. And so that leads to really identifying the narrow, narrow niches within that. And I don't know, uh, I just read recently that Procter & Gamble just had their 23rd billion-dollar brand. So they've got 23 separate brands that do over a billion dollars a year in sales. And that's fascinating because when you even just look at the laundry detergent category, you know, they've got, they've got Tide for people who want to get their clothes white. They've got cheer for people who just want to wash all their clothes at the same temperature. You know, they've got era for people who want to get out tough stains. All, and they've got sunlight for people who want their clothes to smell great. So every every sort of subcategory of that laundry detergent category is a market that somebody could, could dominate. So I, I, that's where I kind of got a real clear vision of of that idea of narrowing that target market and planning to dominate it. You know, when you look at it as a um, a stratification of your market. So I look at if you look in, at a real estate market, you've got the uh, you know condos, you've got townhomes, you've got you know kind of family homes, luxury homes, homes on golf courses, all the different types of of strata that you can identify that people would be um, looking for specifically. And each one of them is a very specific target market. And it's always so much easier to go into a market like that and to be uh, to be the dominant player in any one of those niches because once you start dominating the uh, you know the profits are so much better because it gets easier and easier um, once you're established as the dominant brand in that category you know yeah no totally and I say, say that again I was going to say what, what would be the equivalent like when you were starting out in is carpet cleaning the first business that you were in? Well, I, no, no. Actually, one of the uh, one of the first things I did, you know, I delivered papers. I sold gym memberships. Uh, in terms of a business, one of the very first businesses I was in, which which failed, was I took all of the money that I had saved up, you know, being a carpet. I mean. Uh, delivering papers and um, tried to sell advertising space on the uh, outside of phone book covers. And, you know, that was kind of a funny business because instead of knowing how lazy the, you know, uh, average person is, instead of them even having to crack open the phone book, there'd be like this phone book cover to protect the phone book as if anyone would actually want to. And then there was an alphabetical listing, but it would only have one person, A, B, C, D, you know, of what they are, and, and we would sell like a little ad. Um, and we would never, of course, sell A to Z. But basically there'd be like a name on the outside, and it'd be like this, you know, thing you would 
had a little metal rod, kind of like a binder that you would throw, uh, you know, a phone book in. (laughs) So he tried to sell advertising space. That was one business that that didn't work uh, really well. Uh, I did, however, uh, give everyone their money back because we never actually published the darn thing. And I... Uh, that's a whole other story that we'll we'll talk about maybe on the I hate marketing dot com website or something because that that's when it actually sucked for me, but uh, <laughs> but basically uh, you know uh, that that was one of my first first businesses. But the the thing with carpet cleaning, uh, the example I would give um, was you know when you have a carpet cleaning company. Um, you can sell to anyone, apartment complexes, you know, middle class, poor, wealthy. And one of the things, you know, even to this day as we do this, um, my my company, Piranha Marketing, is the largest um, provider of direct response marketing information, training, advice, strategies, ad templates, promotions, campaigns, you name it, to the professional carpet upholstery cleaning and restoration industry, people that do fires and floods and, and that sort of work. And, uh, you know, we constantly teach them to target people that, you know, have more money. You can do that through certain types of, you know, subject categories. If you want to nicheify going after pet owners, uh, allergy sufferers, people that live in very nice homes, you know, high commercial, you know, that sort of stuff. And even with me selling marketing advice, you know, because even, again, to this day, um, you know, Nightingale Conant having the number one selling marketing program in Nightingale Conant, there are many different ways to sell, um, you know, marketing advice to people. But one of the niches that I sell to is professional carpet and upholstery cleaners. So, you know, there's a lot of general marketing advice that both me and you offer and do to anyone. Like anyone that listens to this podcast could be in any sort of business. Now, you know, in the cleaning industry, I niche the advice, you know, professional marketing, you know, direct response training for carpet cleaners, upholstery cleaners, fire and flood damage restoration companies. That's different than someone that's selling marketing advice to personal trainers or someone that's selling marketing advice to mm-hmm. chiropractors or real estate agents. And so this you not only knit. I was just gonna say, isn't it amazing though how how it all um, it all crosses over? Like you, you oh totally. I would say like your so most of your marketing knowledge, the progression, and the same thing for me. But progression for you, as I've seen it, is that you really kind of learned your marketing by applying it to your own carpet cleaning business and then realized that you could take what you've learned and leverage that by offering it and licensing it and selling it and training other carpet cleaners to do the same thing. And now all of those lessons that you've learned there, the next level up now is that you've become this um, marketing genius that is advising any, all kinds of businesses. Yeah, exactly. And I mean, all, and even with it, yeah, it all it all learns, and it's funny because it's the same kind of progression, right? Like everything that I learned about marketing started out with applying it to my real estate business, and that led to that same path of licensing and selling and training other realtors to do the same thing, and then applying, taking that marketing knowledge and applying it to other businesses outside of real estate. And I think that the real point of that is that it doesn't matter what business you're in when you fall in love with marketing. The best thing that you could possibly do is apply what you're learning in marketing to the business that you're already in. Exactly. And you should, everyone I think would be really well served to say, I want to really, you know, create, just this beautiful painting that I love and the canvas of where I'm going to do it is my own existing opportunity, whatever that is Mm -hmm. right now. And if you don't have one, you're going to have to figure that out, but you don't want to try to paint everything. You want to paint like something that you, you can say, okay, this is my R and D lab. This is where I'm going to test everything out. This is where I'm going to try it out. And the cool thing about marketing is, you know, you don't have to be perfect. I mean, you you just and in many cases, 
uh, a lot of it is playing a game where you're you're not going to win every battle, but if you win the war, you're going to have a very profitable business. You're going to make a lot of money, and lo and behold, you're going to have a, a great impact because marketing applies way beyond you know uh, money-making ventures. You can use marketing to meet the love of your life. You can use marketing to save you know uh, animals uh, from you know cruelty to you know, getting put to death, whatever your cause is, you can you can use marketing to um, variety. You know, I mean, you take Bill Phillips. Uh, let, let me use that as an example. You know, Bill Phillips uh, wrote a book uh, many years ago called uh, Body for Life. That was his first book, and I was uh, Bill's uh, marketing consultant uh, before he actually wrote that book and during the time he, he had written that book. And I was teaching the same marketing strategies I was teaching carpet cleaners to Bill Phillips in the nutrition, fitness, supplementation industry. And, you know, I gave him an idea that, uh, you know, not only made millions of dollars, but uh, also helped uh, grant a lot of wishes for uh, the Make-A-Wish Foundation. And to this day, that same, you know, uh, campaign has granted over, uh, you know, at this time over 550 wishes to uh, to kids, and that's a very big deal. So you can you can use it. You can use marketing for anything. You can use it to make mark make money. You can use it to 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 to, to you know fund causes. Uh, you name it. Uh, and, and whatever you have that you're working on, and even if you're working for a company right now, if you really start thinking about like what you had said, Dean, about what you know, in any company, what, who are the clients? What's the niche? What's the, you know, target audience that is, if you put your time, your effort, uh, your communications into them, is going to give you the, the biggest return, uh, the biggest bang for your buck. And that's, I think, wasn't, I think you, you were telling me that when you were thinking about, you know, getting out of the, the carpet cleaning business because you didn't think it was a big enough opportunity that somebody had told you that you're just going to end up taking, you know, that same, um, tell that story. Cause I don't remember. Exactly yeah. 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 Actually, yeah. When, to take, yeah. take the same, uh, the same habits I had built and I would be right. applying the bad habits into something else. Okay. Yeah. It's a good, it's a good, it's a good story. And you know, a lot of speakers have like their signature stories and they have things and right. a lot of them are made up or embellished. This is absolutely true. This really did happen. And uh, I went jet skiing um, when I was, you know, early into my my carpet cleaning business. I'd been doing it for almost uh, about, you know, two years, and I was frustrated. And I worked my ass off, and I was working many hours a day, and I wasn't making any money. As a matter of fact, I was I was going broke. I was actually in credit card debt. Uh, and it was costing me more money to stay in business than what I was actually grossing. And, you know, if you want to go broke, you know, go broke sitting on a couch, uh, you know, watching TV. And, you know, there's more intelligent ways to go broke than cleaning carpets and sweating your butt off, you know, 10 to 12 hours a day and, and still not having money. And that was sort of the position I was in. So I was I was frustrated. I was you know, but I didn't want to work for anyone. I mean, I'm you know, I was a young guy and I, I did I wanted to. Uh, kind of like you, you know, I, I, I saw that in the, you know, the time and effort economy, getting paid by the hour and having a boss was not how I really wanted to live my life. I wanted to do my own thing. And at the same time, I didn't know what the hell I was doing. So uh, I had a friend I went to high school with that invited me to go jet skiing. And so uh, the only reason that I went is because he said that the guy that owned the jet skis was this multi-million dollar real estate investor. And at the time, I, I didn't have entertainment wasn't like on the top of my list. I was broke. I was in debt. I, I you know, you don't think real well when you know you you're you're in that sort of pressure situation and so that's where I was at but I was like oh you know this guy's a lot of money that has the jet skis maybe I could talk to this guy and, and you know see it as an opportunity to progress me somewhere than where I was at in this crappy carpet cleaning company and so I went jet skiing and uh, I finally had an opportunity because there was four of us uh, on this trip and this guy had two jet skis and so while um you know, two of the, the people we were with were out jet skiing. I finally had an opportunity to sit down on the tailgate of this pickup truck with this guy uh, down at a lake here in Arizona, Segura Lake. And I said, uh, you know, I own a carpet cleaning company, and, uh, you know, I've been trying to do it for a while, and, and I'm certified. I've gotten training in it. I'm, I'm real good at it and everything, but there's, you know, there's really 
not a lot of money in it. And um, I hear you do really well financially, and I was wondering if you could maybe share with me, you know, some uh, opportunities uh, or or different, you know, things I can go into where I can, you know, make a lot of money. And he said to me, he goes, well, are there any other people in your industry that are making a lot of money? And I said, well, you know, there's a couple of companies in the Phoenix area that make over a million dollars a year, and, you know, to me that's a lot of money. Uh, but, you know, they've been around for many years. They're established. You know, and I, I was just coming up with, a you know, a list of advantages that they had that I didn't and why, you know, I couldn't make money in it. And, and he said, well, he goes, you know, if there's other people that are making money in the business and you're not, there's nothing wrong with, uh, you know, the business you're in. There's something wrong with you. And I was like, well, no, you, you know, I mean, you know, all people care about is price. I'm certified. I've, I've gotten training. You know, I do a really good job. I, I, I'm not I'm not in, you know, I don't use bait and switch like a lot of these companies do. And he said, well, he goes, you know, you're like most people. You think the grass is always greener on the other side and that if you're going to go into a new business that somehow that's going to be the answer to you, you know, doing really well. And he said, you know, what you need to your, you learn, young man, is fundamental business skills, fundamental business habits, because if you think that you're going to go into a new industry, you're going to spend another six months, another year, another two years learning the technical skills of another industry so you can go out and repeat the same bad business habits that have caused you to be a failure in this one so far. And, I mean, that totally, like, hit me like a ton of bricks, and it's not what I wanted to hear um, but at the time, it's what I needed to hear, and that really that guy was probably um, you know my very best coach, who I can't remember who it was. You know, I mean, I've long forgotten. That, you know, it was just a very is a one day experience that was probably the equivalent of about a 15 minute conversation. Uh, however, it, it impacted my entire life because I left that trip and I said, you know, the guy's right. I, you know, I'm a young guy. I've got use of my limbs. I, I seem to, you know, I know how to read. Uh, I can work. Um, you know, there are people that are making more money than me that don't seem to be as smart as me and why the hell am I not doing well and, and, and they are. And so what it got me thinking about was they're just things I don't know. And so I made kind of a pact with myself where I said, I'm not going to get out of this carpet cleaning business until I actually learn how to make it work. Uh, because if I do, I'm just going to, it's a cop out. I, I actually am yeah. thinking that, oh, it's, you know, so I didn't like the business. But what I didn't like is that I didn't, you know, people have this term, Dean, where they're like, I don't want to play games, you know, in relationships. They're like, you know, I don't want to play games. And, uh, you know, and so they don't go out and they don't date and they don't give themselves an opportunity to meet anyone because they don't want to get hurt. And what, what, it's not that people don't want to play games. People love to play games. Uh, it's just playing a game that you actually win. If you could win the game, you'd be playing games all the time, you know. Right. And so, and I don't mean by manipulating people. I just mean setting it up so you actually know how to make it work. If you don't know how to make a business work, I don't care what you're doing. The business sucks. But if you, you know, a lot of people that are in the business they're in and the job they're in, if they were making a lot of money, they wouldn't hate it. They would love it. You know, so and it's not always about money. A lot of times it's complexity. It's a lot of times about where your passion's at. I'll tell you, though, you know, most people that are selling a boatload of stuff and doing really well financially don't want to go shut their companies down. I don't know many people that shut down really profitable companies, you know. Exactly. And so, you know, it's it, part of it is – so I left that trip and I said, I'm going to learn how to make this business work. And that's when I jumped headfirst into reading and studying and said, I'm going to learn – what other people, you know, doing. And it didn't even give me an answer to my problem. The biggest problem I had at the time was not technical skills. It wasn't management. It was simply marketing. I didn't know how to get people to hire my services. Uh, and, and so, but that was the mindset shift that I first needed. So I acquired the mindset first and then the marketing introduction to direct response marketing actually came uh, a couple of months after that trip where someone gave me a copy of the Gary Halbert newsletter and and we'll save that for another episode of uh That's perfect, you know, I man. love I marketing I think that would be the perfect place to pick up next week Awesome. So let's do it. We'll talk about that and any final words from you Dean about focus because after someone's listened to us you know, you, you have a really good perspective on simplicity and clarity. And, uh, you know, we're going to spend a lot of time uh, on this podcast for people that listen in. 
uh, where I will ask Dean questions about focus and simplicity and setting your life up. I mean, you know, I'm known for elf marketing, doing things, uh, using marketing strategies that are easy, lucrative, and fun. You're knowing, you're known for simplicity and elegance and before, during, and after. What to do before sale, during a sale, after. So we're going to talk about all that and. In future, uh, you know, I love marketing podcasts, but uh, f- famous last words about focusing to leave all of our listeners with. I think that the big lesson from tonight was what you just said at the very end there, that it's not um, it's not about focusing on, on another business. It's about starting with what you're already doing and making that one your laboratory, making that work. And so, you know, I think what we should do is we'll put that focus video, the 50-minute focus finder video on the, um, up on, on ilovemarketing.com so that people can watch that because no matter what, any ideas that people get are going to require focused attention on implementation. And I think that would be a great foundational thing for people to have because I think going forward, we're going to have lots of things that people are going to be able to implement, things that they're going to be able to uh, to do right away. But being able to sit themselves down and focus long enough to actually make it happen is going to be a very valuable skill for them. Absolutely. And if anyone feels at all overwhelmed at any point, watching Dean's video on focus is a total cure in many cases for overwhelm. And so many people I've recommended watch this absolutely thank me afterwards. And so I think it could be uh, some of the best 50 minutes uh, that you'll ever spend in your life just on, you know, getting things in priority. So thank you, Dean. And to all of our listeners, I hope you found this valuable and you better, uh, you better stay tuned for uh, the next episode of the I Love Marketing podcast.